Good morning, everybody. Please stand for the reading of the word. My name is Aiden Baird, and today I'll be reading out of 2 Timothy verses three, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You, however, continuing in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the what? The, the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which in Christ Jesus, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Aiden. Y'all have a seat. Um, so yeah, we're going to be in uh, kind of all over a little bit today. We're going to read several scriptures, but uh, if you want to go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, that's where we're going to start. So last week, we opened up this series called Knowing God, and really just um, I hoped to in- encourage you last week just about this idea that God is interested in not just you knowing things about him, not just you knowing head facts about who he is, but interested in you really knowing him and walking with him and having a relationship with him. God calls us into that through Christ Jesus. The apostle Peter writes in, in his letter of 1 Peter that Jesus Christ hung on a tree to bring us to God. That's what he says. And so the idea being that Jesus' death and, and resurrection for our sins, the gospel that we believe, it wasn't just so that we would have this understanding of what justification means. It's so that we would actually be brought into the true presence and the life that God is calling us into to walk with him and abide in him. And so today and the next five weeks, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to dig into some of the gifts that God has given to us to allow us to have that relationship with him, to walk in the fullness of the life that he's called us into, right? Jesus said that uh, he has come to give us life and give it abundantly. And I believe a huge part of that, the biggest part of that is walking in relationship with God. And so last week we were in John 15 talking about um, Jesus calling us to abide in him as he is the vine and we are the branches. We grow in him. We live in him. We get all of our nourishment, all of our power, all of our life from him by his spirit who now lives and dwells within us. And so um, as we kind of continue with that thought, right, that we are these, these branches kind of growing in God's garden, so to speak, that um, if you're a good gardener, you know that there are some things you got to do as a gardener, right? There's some tools that you have to use and things that you have to kind of be focused on and intentional with to help your garden grow, right? To help the plants in your garden grow. And God is no different. God's a good gardener. And so he wants us to grow. He wants us to thrive and to flourish as the plants in his garden, so to speak. And so to do that, he's given us some tools. He's given us some gifts. And the first one we're going to talk about today is one of the most precious gifts that God has given to this world and to his people. And it's this. Today, we're going to talk about the word of God. We're going to talk about the scriptures um, and how God has given this to us as a gift. So let's pray together and we're going to jump in. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I pray today that as elementary as this is, um, God, that maybe it would just, that you would just speak to us in a fresh way about the truth of your word and the goodness of your word and the beauty of your word and the power of your word and the necessity of it in our lives and how we need it so badly. So God, do that. Please speak to us now into our hearts from your very word as we read your word. And let us remember today that this book is the most precious gift that you have given us to grow in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, um, man, I just remember, there's so many times I kind of think back and remember my 
experience as a, as a young kid growing up in a, a Christian home and just thinking about this, this book that I would see. I would see this book all the time. Um, I don't know if, you know, any of you who have grown up in the church and grown up in Christian homes, you, you can relate to this. I mean, I would see this book around my house, right? And we would go to church and I would see the preacher go up there with this book and he would open this book and he would read from this book. I would see this book at weddings and this book at funerals, right? There was always the, the Bible. It was always there and it was always being opened. It was always being read. I would see people like on, on TV shows, you know, right? you see people lay their hands on this book in courtrooms and, um, you know, and swear to tell the truth. And just always thought that was, that was an interesting thing. Um, we had this book in, in picture form. We had a big yellow kind of kid's Bible picture uh, book when I was a kid that my dad and mom would read to us from time to time. I loved it. I loved the, the imagery and the pictures in there. I loved reading about Samson and David and Goliath and Gideon, you know, as a young boy. I just thought those were the coolest things. But man, even just the stories about Jesus and um, thinking about who he was and seeing who he was and um, just, just always kind of was interested in the reality that this book had some sort of um, importance, obviously, in the lives of a lot of people around me, and it always did certainly intrigue me, um, even as, you know, a kid going to some different churches. I kind of grew up at F uh, Grace Fellowship and what became Eastridge Church later, but um, we would go to some different churches. My parents were divorced when I was young, and so with my mom, we'd go to some other church. We'd go to that little Baptist church out in uh, Shadydale sometimes, and they had the pews and a little pew Bible sitting in there, right? And I'm a kid sitting in the pews, and oftentimes I would just open it up and look at the maps in the back. Like, I loved the maps in the Bible. You know, I don't know if anybody's like, I'm fascinated by maps. And so I always love to, to read the maps and look at the maps. And I would always turn back to like David and Goliath. And I'd read through that as the preacher was preaching about whatever he was preaching about. So um, listen, it's okay. I understand if this morning you're like, man, I just want to check out and just read my Bible while this guy's talking. That's okay. You do that. Um, because man, if you're going to check out and do anything, check out and read this. Um, but man, I just remember, I just remember it always kind of being there. How interesting that was. Um, this, this book, y'all, it's a miracle. I don't know if you know how miraculous this thing is that we get to hold in our hands. Um, I don't know about y'all. I was thinking about it this morning. I, I, we probably have 15 or 20 Bibles laying around our house uh, somewhere um, between myself, my wife, and my wife's mother uh, lives upstairs with us too. So we got Bibles everywhere. Um, you probably have multiple you know, copies of scripture all around your house. But this thing, like, it, it can become almost um, mundane to us because we see it everywhere and we have it all the time and it's so available to us. There's one under just about every chair in this room right now. And if, by the way, if you don't have one, take one, that's yours. Um, we want you to have it. But man, the Bible is just so available to us, but that hasn't always been the case. Now, this is 66 books compiled by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years written down uh, for us. And as Aiden just read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, that, that Paul describes the Bible as God-breathed, breathed out by God. And we'll talk about that more here in just a second. But I just wanted to kind of give you a quick little rundown of the history of how this thing came together. Like I said, 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years of writing by the time we get in the New Testament time, we had the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures had actually been translated already into Greek. They were written originally in Hebrew, um, translated already into Greek because now the, the world was a Greek speaking world. By the time of Jesus, there was this translation called the Septuagint, right? Which the kind of the 200s BC by then they had that. And that's really what like uh, the apostle Paul probably read the Septuagint, the, the, the Greek Old Testament that they had. And then in the first century, the Christians began to collect the writings of the apostles 
apostles, those men who followed around Jesus and walked with him and were witnesses to him and his life and his death and his resurrection, right? And then those closely associated with an apostle, like a guy like Luke, um, who wasn't particularly an apostle, but he was very closely associated with Paul. And so their writings began to be collected by the early church and preserved and kind of kept and put into, um, you know, order as best they could to kind of preserve these things for the centuries because they understood there, there was value in what was being written down by these men who were given authority by Jesus himself, by God himself, to write down the words that we would have later. And by the fourth century, 66 books, these 66 books by the late 300s were compiled into what we call now the, the canon of scripture, right? These 66 books from Genesis to Revelation the scriptures began to be translated into other languages from Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic um, by the second century. So they started to go ahead and start translating these scriptures into more common languages, other languages that could be distributed to people who didn't speak those languages. And by the fifth century, there was a translation that came out called the Latin Vulgate. And the Latin Vulgate was an, a completely Latin translation of the entire Bible. And this was the, this was the translation adopted by the Roman Catholic Church in the, in the fifth century and on for over a thousand years. The Latin Vulgate was the official translation, right, of the, of the Catholic Church. And that was great. Here was the problem with that. Most people couldn't read Latin. And so Latin became, uh, really the Latin Vulgate became kind of, kind of this Bible that only the scholars could read, only the priests could read, only the Pope could read, and, and kind of the common man couldn't read this thing. And so in the 14th century, there was a man named John Wycliffe. And he challenged the notion that only the scholars should be able to read the Holy Scriptures. And he began to translate the Latin Vulgate, the, the, the Holy Scriptures, he began to translate that into what was called Middle English at the time, just a common tongue of the English-speaking world. Um, he began to do that, and this was um, not okay by the Roman Catholic Church. They did not like this because it was taking sort of the power out of their hands to be able to teach the people and now putting it into literally the, the hands of the common man. Um, but over 200 copies of the English manuscripts that he created did survive. And after his death, John Wycliffe was actually declared a heretic for translating this into English. He was declared a heretic. They dug up his bones. This is true. They dug up his bones. They burned them and they threw them in the river. The Catholic Church did. Um, because this guy translated the Bible out of, out of Latin and into the common English tongue. But then in the 15th century, something amazing happened. The printing press was invented. Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press, right? And he printed the very first Bible. It was a copy of the Latin Vulgate called the Gutenberg Bible. Y'all have probably heard of that. The very first Bible ever printed, or the very first uh, thing ever printed on the printing press, it was a Bible. And then there was a man named William Tyndale. And William Tyndale, kind of in the tradition of John Wycliffe, wanted to translate again the scriptures from that Latin Vulgate into an English translation that anybody could read. And he set out to translate the Bible into the English from its original versions. And he also kind of used help from the Latin Vulgate, from Martin Luther's German New Testament and from Wycliffe's English Bible. And William Tyndale said this, he said that he was moved to translate the New Testament because he saw, quote, it was impossible to establish people in the truth unless the scriptures were plainly laid before their eyes in their native tongue, right? That it was impossible for the common people to know the truth of God, he said, if the scriptures weren't available for them to read in their own language, Somebody else was just always reading it to them, right? Um, guys, again, we don't understand sometimes and get the, the, the beauty of this thing because we have it so readily available to us in English. They didn't. 
And so William Tyndale took it upon himself to use the printing press that Gutenberg invented um, to then begin to, to, to print this book, thousands of copies of this book into English so that more and more people could read it. Um, he tried to get assistance from the English, uh, from, from the church in England to, to print this, but they wouldn't give him any help. They refused uh, help on this. So he had to kind of go into hiding and actually get his own press and go into this like secret location and began to print thousands of copies of the Bible in secret. But there was actually a priest who spied on him, who turned him into the Roman Catholic church. So he began to be persecuted, chased down, tried to get to stop printing this thing. But despite their best efforts, he did. He printed hundreds of copies, thousands of copies, began to distribute them all over the English speaking world in secret. He would like hide Bibles in crates of other things like carrots. They'd put Bibles under carrots and they would distribute them out to the world and people began to get them into their hands and begin to read them. And this is what uh, William Tyndale said. He said um, that this was sort of his vow that the boy who drives the plow would know more of the scriptures than the Pope. That was his goal, right? Because he knew like these people in power, guys, this is not about like anti-Roman Catholic church. I'm just saying, this is what was going on here. The people in power loved the fact that they had the scriptures and nobody else did. And William Tyndale said, that is not the way God designed this. God wants everybody to know his word. And so he printed out thousands of copies. However, um, man, they began to track these copies down and began to burn them in mass. Um, and only two copies of those originals actually survived, but two did survive. And William Tyndale was captured and he was burned alive in 1535 for this. Guys, this right here, this, this book the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, y'all, it is stained with the blood of martyrs, men and women over the centuries who literally gave their lives so that you could hold one this morning in a translation that you can read. Like, do you realize when you sit down with this how precious it is? Like, how good this thing is that God has worked through his church over the centuries to preserve this for us um, and there were actually stories of pastors who were killed for teaching their congregations to memorize the Ten Commandments in English or the Lord's Prayer in English. Killed for that. Praise God we have this today to, to be available to us to read this and to know this. So in 2 Timothy 3, here, here's what Paul says again about these scriptures. I'm just going to read uh, verse 16 here. He says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. He said, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book is a miracle and it begins our, our understanding of the miraculous nature of this book, this, these 66 books, really this anthology of books, of letters, of poetry, of history. Like the, the amazing thing about this is that what Paul says here is that it's breathed out by God. Other translations say inspired by God, but really the, 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 the technical Greek word that Paul, he actually made up a word. It's the only place um, that this word is used. It's theonoustos. It's God breathed, breath of God. That this right here, Paul understood that the scriptures were given by the very breath of God. God is a communicator. Do you know this? 
God loves to speak. He loves to communicate. He loves to say, and he loves to breathe. And every time, every time in scripture, we kind of see God breathing, right? It's always about power and life giving power that he is breathing out when he breathes. And it's often connected with his, his very spirit, right? Nustos, the, the pneuma, the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit It's called the, the spirit of God, the breath of God. Right? That when God breathes out, it is his word which he breathes and it is powerful and it is life-giving, producing word that he always breathes out. He breathed just as he breathed the very first breath into the nostrils of Adam, the first man. So he has breathed his word into the pages of scripture through his apostles, through his prophets to be written down so that we would know him and be able to walk with him. He calls his word useful to us. Useful. And so I want to give us this morning um, three kind of categories. I I was thinking about this this week, just trying to think of like, what are some categories of like how the Bible describes the Bible? Really how God describes his word throughout his word. What are some images that we get of this? And I kind of grouped them into into three categories. So what I want to do this morning is just kind of give you those those three categories and show you some scriptures where it says that and just talk about like, man, what the the, the beauty of the gift right here that God is giving us. This very simple idea this morning, y'all. Here's the application today. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Read your Bibles. That's, that's really it. Okay, it's the simplest of things, is it not? But it's the most life-changing thing. And if we would give ourselves to this. And so I want to, oh man, just, just kind of look at what Scripture says about Scripture, what God says about His Word in Scripture. So number one is this. What, what is the Bible for us? What is Scripture for us? Number one, Scripture is an all-powerful tool. It is an all-powerful tool. The Bible is full of the imagery of uh, uh, sort of the the tools that God gives to us in his very word. So Paul just told Timothy, it's God-breathed and it's useful, right? Scripture is useful. It's not for nothing. It's not impotent. It's not weak. It's actually useful. And he actually said right before that, before he said all scripture is God-breathed, verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy, moms, dads, listen to that. From infancy, Timothy was taught the scriptures. Like, are are we doing this with our kids? Are we discipling our kids in the word of God right now? He says how from infancy, um, sorry, I lost my place. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From infancy, Timothy has known the scriptures, been taught the scriptures, the powerful, useful, effective scriptures. Guys, the first thing we need to know and understand about God's word in the scriptures is that it is the power of God used for our salvation, makes us wise for salvation. How do you know Jesus? How do you know the gospel? How do you know God? This series is about knowing God and having a relationship with him. How does that happen? It happens through his word. No one, understand this, no one has ever been saved apart from the truth that is found in scripture. There are stories, and I will not deny this, there are stories of people who have had dreams or visions and things like that of like God kind of speaking to them in some way and kind of drawing them towards them before they had the scriptures. However, that even happens in the Bible, by the way, that happens like in Acts chapter 10. Um, This happens from time to time where like God is sort of drawing a person towards himself. However, then God, when we see this happen in the Bible, always sends somebody to go and actually share with them the specific scriptures, 
right, about who Jesus is. No one just comes to this realization on their own. God has preserved this for us so that we could open it up, dig into it, and become wise for salvation. If you're saved, if you're in Christ Jesus, you know why? Because this exists, that God's word is here, and we know it, and we can look into it and see who Jesus is. Uh, We've talked about this a little bit before, but I know we kind of have a mindset sometimes like, man, I wish I was alive when Jesus was walking the earth. That would have been so much better and easier to know him and follow him and, and understand him and all those things. But um, the apostle Peter actually seems to make the argument in first Peter chapter one, that even though we don't see Jesus now, we love him and believe in him, right? It's almost like this, it's, it's better that we can't see Jesus, but what we have is the Holy scriptures. We have four entire books describing things that if you and I were alive in that day, we would have never known never seen, never heard Jesus say, never walked and saw Jesus do all those things. But we have four books where we can read about it. We can see Jesus in the pages of scripture. This is how God works and how good he is to us that we have so much more understanding of Jesus now than probably most anybody had in the first century because we get to read all the scriptures now compiled for us. Y'all get that? So it's useful. It's a, it's a tool for us to learn. He says it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting, right? So it helps us to learn. It helps us to grow in what God requires of us. It's useful for training and righteousness, he says. So it equips us to live and to do the things that God considers to be righteous. The Bible helps us to live godly lives, helps us to live as God requires for us. Guys, we can try to figure these things out on our own, We can listen to worldly wisdom and we will fall very short. You'll fall short even if you do listen to this, but at least this gives you the guide and the help that you need in order to walk in godliness and know God better. The the scriptures are a all powerful tool. And so I brought some uh, kind of some objects here this morning that are going to kind of show us what, how, again, how scripture kind of speaks of itself here in the Bible. Psalm 119 uh, 105 calls the Bible a light. And I love the, the light illustration. It says that um, God's word is a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? That this is, um, man, throughout the Bible, we actually see this imagery used over and over and over again, that, man, God's word illuminates us, illuminates our hearts, illuminates our minds, allows us to, to see and know God and think more clearly about who he is and what he's doing in our lives, allows us to understand his will better and kind of see the path that he's laid out for us. Not every, not every twist and turn, not every step down the road, but at least right in front of us. That's what a lamp does, right? Helps you just kind of see right here so that we can walk with him. Um, God's word is called, uh, I love Jeremiah, actually, uh, what, what scripture is that? It's Jeremiah 23, 29 calls the Bible a fire and a hammer, fire and hammer, which I think is interesting, right? Um, fire and hammer. I mean, these are tools. These are tools that God gives to, to us in his word. What is fire and hammer? I mean, fire and hammer, they are, they're good and they're useful and they're helpful if used the right way, right? If used the wrong way out of context, in the way that maybe we just want to kind of use them. You put your finger in the wrong spot, right? You, that hurts. You, you use this for the wrong thing. That can hurt. That can be destructive. Not to say that God's word is bad because God's word is good, but it depends on the user. Sometimes there's user error in there. I just was thinking about that. I was thinking about fire and hammer and how, man, God's word is designed to be so good and so helpful and so useful to us. And it should be used in its proper way if we would allow God to do his work in us and through us, God's word is described as a sword. Ephesians chapter six, 
in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, this is uh, Pastor Scott's sword. I stole this from his office. Um, <laughs> It's not sharp there. It's kind of sharp on the end there. But um, again, just the idea of a tool that is so helpful. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Right? That this God's word, it, it goes deep into us. It searches us. It divides our, our thoughts and our intentions and our attitudes. Guys, when we are in the word of God, it is getting into us. Do y'all get that? And it's changing us and it's shaping us and it's cutting away, burning away, breaking away the things in our lives that are not godly, not righteous, not of him. And it is exposing the things that we need to see and understand and be illuminated in our minds so that again, We can walk with God and truly know him, have relationship with God. God's word is is so good to us. Number two, scripture is all satisfying food. It's not just a powerful tool. It is that. And the scripture is also all satisfying food. In Luke 4, chapter 4, Jesus is in the desert. He's being tempted and Satan keeps coming to him and trying to kind of tempt him with these different things. And uh, man, Jesus just makes it very clear. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's from Deuteronomy chapter six. Scripture is our bread. And more than our actual bread that we eat, more than some, some healthy 21 whole grain multi, I think if God's word is anything, maybe it's a, it's a loaf of sourdough. I don't know, but um, it's, it's something healthy. It's something good, right? And Jesus is just like, look, yes, we need food to eat, but more than we need food for our physical bodies. Every day we need food for our souls, Jesus was spending 40 days in the desert. He was literally starving, hungry. Satan's coming to him going, hey, turn these rocks into bread. You can do that. And Jesus, that's when Jesus says this. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is, this is my bread. This is bread, but this is bread. This is life giving nourishment, right? The scriptures call God's word pure milk. And, and when he's talking about pure milk, he's talking about like what babies drink, right? And I love milk. I still drink milk. But, um, and when he says pure milk, when, when, um, when the scriptures talk about this being pure milk, he's just talking about, man, the very most basic thing that we need for life, right? The first thing that we eat, the thing that even babes can eat. And I love that because, man, it's just kind of making the point that, yes, guys, there are deep things in the scriptures. There are things in the scriptures that we... Uh, the most learned people in the world struggle to understand. And yet, man, there are a lot of things in the scriptures that babies can eat. You know what I'm saying? The simplest of truths, the most basic realities of who God is and who Jesus is and his love for us. So he calls scripture bread. He calls scripture milk. He calls scripture solid food as well. Scripture is called solid food that um, I just brought a banana. I didn't know what else to bring, but there's all sorts of things we could have. But I just love, again, the images of our most basic needs, our beginnings. And man, as we grow and as we mature, that no matter where you're at and your level of understanding of God and your maturity as a Christian, the truth is you need this. You need this. And look, I know people um, who, who would probably try to argue that you don't have to read the Bible to be a Christian and 
I mean, you know, maybe that's technically true. You don't have to read your Bible every day to be a Christian. I guess not. No, you can believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and really not be in this very much. And lots of people do that all the time. But that's the same argument as saying, man, you don't have to eat food to be a human. Ah, I guess not, man, but it's not going to last very long. And it's not going to be a very good life, right? It's, you're going to get weak. You're going to atrophy. You're going to be sick real quick if you're not in the word of God and eating the food. Man, I even love that, man, the scriptures describe God's word as honey, as sweet honey to our souls. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. I'm not going to read that whole thing, but man, he just describes God's word as, as honey, being sweeter than the honeycomb. I love that too. I kind of think this is sort of the, the, the furthest progression of this because man, it's like, you know, when we're infants, we're just drinking milk. And by the way, babies can't even have honey. Y'all know that? Um, like when we're infants, we just have this and then we grow and we begin to eat the solid food. We have bread and we have other kinds of food. But then even as we mature more, man, we don't just see God's word as, as food that nourishes. We actually see it as something that just is delicious and satisfying to us. It's so good and it's sweet and it's something that we, we crave in our lives. I was talking about when I was a kid and how, you know, I would see this book in different places and different contexts in my life. And I'll tell you this, probably the, the thing that I remember most vividly as a kid and where I would see this book is I would see it at our kitchen table where my dad would read it in the mornings before work. And as a kid, I just remember thinking, like, why in the world would you read a book first thing in the morning? Like, that's not fun. Get up and watch cartoons, dude. Yeah, that's what we do. But it's because, man, as we grow and we mature in the Lord, we understand that this is, this is our food. It's our daily bread, and it's as sweet as honey to our souls. And we need it. It refreshes us. You might testify to this, how God's word can just refresh you in times of need. And it does. So it is all satisfying food. But number three, scripture is an everlasting treasure. Scripture is an everlasting treasure. Um, the Bible, in the Bible, um, Scripture is talked about as silver and gold, these, these kind of precious metals. Psalm 12, Psalm 19, and a couple places where we see the Bible just described as, as silver and gold, something precious. And it can be small. I mean, bite-sized pieces that we can take every day. Little, it can be one verse at a time. It could be chapters that we're digesting. But in any case, we understand that this thing that we have that God has given us, it is so valuable and so precious. Like this ring, I mean, I wear it every day and I do not take it off. Because it's precious and it's valuable, as small and as simple as it is. It's something that we need. And then I actually brought this because the Bible also calls itself a, a seed. These are seeds. Um, okra seeds, because we grow a lot of okra. Okra grows really well um, at our house. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter says this in verse 22, 1 Peter 1. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from your hearts. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. 
And Peter's just saying, look, this might seem very simple and, and rudimentary as you kind of think about seed. But this is the most valuable thing that God gives because he said this, this seed that God plants into our hearts as we read his word, the seed of the gospel, the seed of knowing him through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of us, this seed that God has planted inside of us by the breathing out of his Holy Spirit into us, that seed does not perish. It's God's word and it's imperishable. It is eternally valuable and again, we talked last week about us abiding in Christ and him abiding in us and how he does that. He does that by his spirit whom he has breathed into us, that seed that has been planted in our hearts to bring us to life. And it is imperishable. It will last forever. Everything else. He said, all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. But the word of the Lord lasts forever. This is the seed that has been planted inside of us who believe. That seed of faith, that seed of hope, that seed of joy, that seed of love, the seed of life that will never die. And it's found here. It's found right here. All of these things, not even mention water, by the way, because um, water... It's actually given um, in, in Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul mentions the scripture is, is water because he's actually talking. I just wanted to kind of save this one to say something specifically to the, the husbands and dads in the room. He's talking to men and he mentions that um, and we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And he says, and wash her with the water of the word. So this was less about what we're drinking and more about our, our giving and our pouring out and our washing our, our wives, washing our families in the water of God's word. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bring that up right here at the end, just to say to the, the men in this room, husbands, dads, um, lead the way in this. Lead the way in washing your families in the water of the word. So what do we do? What's the, what's the application of this? I already told you, it's read God's word. It's be in the scriptures. But I just kind of want to end today by reading from uh, Psalm 119. Again, Psalm 119 Verses 9 through 16. I just want to read this to us. Psalm 119, by the way, it's, it's, a, it's a chapter just all about the word of God. Um, it's a poem really written about his word and um, just kind of expounds on that. And this, this author loves God's word, loves his law. And he says this, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. What do we do? What do we do with this? If we want to know God, walk in relationship with him, truly knowing him and him knowing and living in us and changing us and sanctifying us, what do we do? We do what that Psalm just said. It said, hide it in your heart. What is that? Memorize it, read it, meditate on it, think about it, journal it, get yourself a journal, write down your thoughts, write down your prayers, write down your observations as you read through this. Treasure it. It said it's a treasure to us. And then it's obey it. I will walk in your commands. We don't just read this to know it. We read it to obey it 
and live it out because in obedience, our knowledge of God grows. Our joy in him grows and our experience of him grows because we're living out the commands that he's given us to obey him. So simply put y'all, the, the kind of the encouragement today is just to be in God's word. I'm telling you, if you want to grow in godliness, you want to grow in your relationship with God, that's where it's going to begin with this. And the next week is prayer, scripture and prayer. If we're not doing those things, if we're not in God's word and we're not in prayer consistently, man, we're just not going to know him. I'm just telling you plainly. And you can tell me all day long that you want to know God and you want to be godly and you want to walk with him and you want to have a godly family and you want that to be the center of your life. But if you're not in that, it's just words. You're just speaking words. If you're not willing to open this up and live according to it. Now, Here's why I wanted you to keep your cards, okay? Um, and I want you to take your cards and put them in the baskets on the way out. But if you, if you are just kind of in a place right now where you're like, I just want to start. I, I'm not in God's word right now. I know most of you are. Praise God. And if you're not, I just want to give you a, a simple little action step, okay? I want you to write on your card, James. I want you to write the word James. This week, we will email you. If you write that on your card, we will email you every day. And we will help walk you through the book of James this week. The book of James, the biblical book of James, five chapters. We're going to walk through that together as a church this week. If you're just looking for somewhere to start, okay? You're just like, I don't even know what to do. I've never really read the Bible or I'm not really in it right now. And I'm just trying to just write James, write it on your card and then drop it in the basket on your way out and we'll get in touch with you. Okay, we just want to help you take a baby step. All right, if it's this for you today, if it's just like, I'm right here, I'm just right here, I just need help. I need somebody to feed me. Like, okay, that's awesome. And a lot of us, I know we're, we're further along and we're doing other things and we're, we're kind of living in, in these other ways. But man, just whatever it looks like for you, just take the step that God's calling you to take. Y'all, this is not rocket science today. Like, I hope nobody's coming in here today going, man, this is revolutionary stuff. Um, I hope you're in here going, this is the most basic thing I've ever heard. Good. Food is, eating food is the most basic thing in the world. And we got to do it. We got to do it every day. All right. Pick a time, pick a place, be intentional, sit down and read the word of God. Get in it, let it get in you and then go and live it out in obedience. And by the way, being in growth group is a big, huge help to reading God's word too. Okay. So as y'all leave today, um, man, go check out those groups. All right. Let me pray for us. Um, yeah, and we'll be done today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word again. I just pray, God, that uh, as, again, as simple as this is, Lord, that it would resonate in our hearts today and just encourage us all to be in your word, to listen to your word, to obey your word, to be people of your word who love it and desire it in our lives and then go and live it out every day. God, we love you. Thank you that you love us and you teach us that in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you all for being here today. Love you guys. Y'all go check out those growth groups. Trolling.